0: Good morning, church. How are y'alls? That that was about as disjointed as the word (laughs) y'alls. I love it. If you didn't have your Bible open yet, go ahead and get to John chapter 12. Uh, We're going to be in that passage today, but we're also going to have a passage in Zechariah 9. So I want you to have Zechariah bookmarked with your finger. Zechariah 9, that's Old Testament minor prophets. So you're going to be back in the back of the Old Testament. Good luck finding it. Uh, Page number uh, 512 for me, that's not going to work for you at all. Um, And then John chapter 12. So go ahead and have both available. This is going to be one of the first times that the gospel of John points us very specifically back to Old Testament passages. So it's going to be really cool. I'm super stoked for today uh, to be able to work through New Testament and Old Testament significance and connections there. I will also just give you a, a little heads up. On the front end of all of this message, of all what I believe the Lord has for us today in His Word, uh, this will not be a feel-good sermon. Um, I'm hoping that joy will rise back up after and we are eating and getting fried chicken in our bellies. Uh, but for right now, uh, this is going to be something that uh, might poke a little bit. It might sting a little bit. Um, and I, I think it ought because uh, of some of the dynamics that are happening in the text. So I just want to give you fair warning. Don't say I didn't tell you. Uh, this, is, this is what's going to happen. So here's real quick. On the front end, let me ask you, uh, shout out some of your favorite superheroes. Batman. Superman, uh, Batman, I heard Spider-Man. Give me some more. Some random ones that you know nobody else knows. Who said what? What was said? Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. Hey. Sorry. not Not wrong, right? He has no superpowers, but he is Clint Eastwood. Um, kind of like uh, Batman, right? Yeah. My favorite superhero uh, is Superman, of course. Everybody says that because he's like the best, but... Um, I would also say because he symbolizes a lot of things. But there's, there's just so many good superheroes. How many of you have ever heard of the Blue Beetle? Yeah, not too many, but that's a superhero out there. There's all sorts of superheroes. And here's the funny thing. Think about this with me. Whenever you're reading a comic book or you're watching a superhero movie of some kind, right, the superhero is always, 100% of the time, subject to the agenda of everyone else. Think about it. It's the obvious agenda, the obvious plan that the whole audience, that all the crowd has for the superhero. What's the plan for the superhero? Stop the villain. Almost every time. I, I was looking categorically through all the different superhero stories, and you think about it, every time, every time you go into a movie or comic, you're thinking that the plan for the superhero is fix the problem that the villain has created. 100%. Think about it. So let's talk about, let's do Batman, right? I heard Batman. Uh, we, we got the, the movie The Dark Knight. Uh, it's a thriller of a movie, I got to say. And you've got Joker in it. He's a pretty crazy dude. But think about it. Joker has his own free will agenda, right? He's trying to corrupt uh, the good to destroy the city, right? His plan is is to destroy Gotham through the corruption of everything that was good about Gotham, Harvey Dent, even Batman himself, right? That's the Joker's free agenda. He's not subject to other people's agenda. He's got his own plans. But then what's everybody's plan and agenda for Batman? save the city, stop the Joker, right? That's every, everybody's got his, their plans for this, this Batman guy. What about Thanos? Let's go, to the, let's go to the Marvel category. We've got Thanos, right? He's got his own agenda. He's got his own plans. His plan is to wipe out half of life in the universe by, by using the, the snap on the, the infinity stones, right? You can tell some of you like, are finding out, like, I'm pretty much a geek um, in a jock's body. Now, that's his plan. He wants to bring balance to the universe by destroying half of life. He's got his own agenda. What does everyone, well, actually, what happens in Infinity War? What does he do? He does it, right? He, he snaps. Half of life is gone. Now, we know in Endgame, which, by the way, I'm about to spoil something. If you have not seen Endgame by now, that is your fault, <laughs> not mine. They all come back, by the way, in Endgame. That's the whole plan. But but, but everybody has the agenda and the expectation on the superheroes. And what's the plan? Stop Thanos. Bring, li- bring everything back to life. Everybody, the crowd's agenda for the superheroes is always foil the plans of the villain, the obvious villain. It's always the shared agenda for every superhero. And what's ironic is as Jesus enters the... Hey, it's Palm Sunday, by the way. I don't know if I said that yet. It's Palm Sunday. And, and, and on Palm Sunday, we find out that everybody has plans for this superhero that's riding in, that's coming into the city. Foil the efforts. Foil the plans and the authority of the villain, which at this time was Rome. You see, Jerusalem had, and Israel was occupied by Roman Empire at this time, so uh, they were lorded over by the tyrant Caesar. And so everybody's plan for this superhero riding in was stop the villain. It's obvious. But Jesus being the ultimate hero, he has his own agenda. Because he ultimately sees the real problem at hand. So we're going we're to dive into that text with this understanding. We're going to be in John 12, verses 12 through 19. It's a short passage but we've got some connections to the Old Testament that we want to be in. So keep in mind where Jesus just was. He was just in Bethany. Mary did her incredible act of worship, uh, of devotion to Jesus by anointing him with this really expensive oil, which Jesus connects all the way to his burial, his death. The people, the crowds find out that Jesus has come back to Bethany and he's back in town. So the, 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 the large crowd comes down to Bethany. We just found that out in the last passage on last Sunday. And why did everybody want to go see uh, Jesus? What did he do to Lazarus? That's the talk of the town. Everybody's saying, and every time henceforth, Lazarus is mentioned. Yeah, the the dead guy that Jesus raised. Every time, he's mentioned. And so so everybody's down in Bethany, and then the very next day, Palm Sunday, is what has come to be called. Palm Sunday is where we pick up our text. So look at verse 12 and 13 again. The next day, after this anointing, and the large crowd had come to, that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him. Now stop there for a second. Guys, this is, this is not just an all of a sudden random happenstance. This is something that has happened a few times. In fact, if, you, if you've seen any good war movies at any time, you'll know that the greeting of the king and the army coming after, back in from battle is a massive triumphal procession through the city gates. And the, all the citizens of the city are there, and they're welcoming, they're cheering. It's been it's been happening for decades. And we see here that it's happening again. We see this crowd comes out and they're doing this and they're bringing with them these palm branches. These palm branches they're waving. We got, I mean, you guys know that as, as the superhero would enter into the city gates, the, 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 all the spoils of the war, prisoners of war, all the gold and things that they've plundered would be brought in before all of the people, or before the king, before the war heroes. And here we have Jesus being welcomed in a similar fashion. He's being welcomed into the Jewish nation, the capital of the Jewish nation, which is overruled by Roman occupation, and he's being welcomed in a similar fashion as a hero. But again, this isn't the first time this has happened. uh, There's this, uh, the Maccabean Revolt. I don't know if any of you have, some of you have probably heard of that. About 140, 150 years before Jesus' day, Rome was occupying, again, Jerusalem, and and, and even the temple. There were some wicked things happening in the temple, and a guy named Simon Maccabeus led this revolt that cleansed the temple against Roman Empire or against their tyranny in there. And so we, we, when, when Simon Maccabeus had finished this, he was welcomed back into the city of Jerusalem with palm branches and shouts. You can find that in 1 Maccabees 13. That's an apocryphal book. We also find that in both major Roman wars, the rebels of Jerusalem would mint little palm branch coins. And so what we find out is that the palm branches at this day and age were a symbol of national hope. It became a symbol of Jewish nationalism. So this wasn't some sort of um, random act of celebration. No, this this was symbolizing Israel's hopes, their national political hopes, which were now being focused on this Jesus from Nazareth as he rides into the city. so they're out there they're waving their palm branches welcoming this hero into the city and they're shouting look at verse 13 they keep shouting can you say this word for me what is it Hosanna. Hosanna shout it louder Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord the king of Israel wow (laughs) Everything's on the table now that Jesus is hearing exactly what they're expecting of him. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Now, some of you have Bibles that have very intentionally cross-referenced this, because this is a direct quote from Psalm 118. Now, I didn't have you turn there, because that's not one of the main texts uh, for the morning, but I'll, I'll help you understand that. But they start off with this cry of Hosanna. Can you just show a hands? How many of you know what actually Hosanna means? It's not a name for Jesus, by the way. It's, it's not a title. So the word Hosanna is, is actually Hebrew. Hoshiana in Aramaic, you may have heard it differently. Hoshiana, which means, save us, Lord it, it, in one sense it means save now we're needing salvation but it also carries the other sense of salvation is come it's here it's ours you can see both senses in the psalms it, we need salvation or we have been saved so let me try to illustrate it this way um I've only got one life to live, which means I've only got one story that I can tell you about life experiences from. So I've referenced this a few times. Some of you may not know this part. So when my wife and I were first trying to get pregnant, uh, we lost three children uh, for for different reasons. And we couldn't figure it out um, until the third pregnancy. We got some tests back that were very helpful for us. So we finally get pregnant this fourth time. And uh, we, we find out it's a girl. And we're praying about a name. And uh, the, the name Joel was one that we really loved. Uh, it comes from the Hebrew name Joel, which is Jehovah is God. But then we were trying to figure out a, a, a middle name. And uh, we, we, we were in this place of is this baby even going to survive? Is our daughter going to live? And we were crying out to the Lord day in and day out would you save our child? Would you save this baby? And so we actually named the middle name of our daughter, Joelle Hosanna, Brad. Because in one sense, we were praying, God, would you save our daughter? Would Would you deliver her? And now, obviously you know, Joelle Hosanna is six years old? Seven? She's seven. She's seven. Seven years old. And so now the same word, Hosanna, no longer carries the sense of urgency and request. It carries the celebration of salvation has clearly come. She's alive. She's been delivered. And so that's the same sense here. We have this sense of salvation, rescue. It could be this cry for rescue, but they see their king coming and they're saying, hey, salvation is here. Hosanna in the highest. So that's what they're crying. So now when Palm Sunday comes this time around, you can be like, hey, we know what this means. We're not just shouting some random words. I have no clue what they are. It's great. Hosanna, salvation has come. Now, they're quoting Psalm 118. And it's very appropriate because Psalm 118 clearly says, save us, Lord. And it says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But, but is that the only thing that they're intentionally referencing from Psalm 118? Well, no, let me tell you a little bit about Psalm 118. It is a psalm of thanksgiving. It's a song of joyful gratitude to the Lord. Here's what it describes. Listen to what Psalm 118 describes. It describes a festive procession into Jerusalem after a great deliverance and victory. You hear that? Psalm 118 is describing a festive procession into Jerusalem into the gates of Jerusalem, after a great deliverance and victory. So we see several references in, in one eighteen Psalm 118 about salvation and deliverance and victory. In, uh, in verses 5, 14, 15, and 21, we see, uh, I called to the Lord in distress, and the Lord answered me and put me in a spacious place. There's rescue. We have in verse 14 and 15, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. They, uh, there are shouts of joy and victory in the tents of the righteous. So deliverance, rescue, victory. And there's also mentions in Psalm 118 of entrances into city gates. Look in verses 19 and 20 if you're there. Open the gates of, the righteous, of righteousness for me. I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the Lord's gate. The righteous will enter through it. So they are clearly referencing a psalm about a festive victory, a a festive processional after a great deliverance of great victory. and So that means they have something in view for Jesus. Psalm 118 is what they have in mind for Jesus. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel, which by the way, the King of Israel actually probably comes from a different passage. It's not exactly in 118. So the crowd's agenda for Jesus, this hero coming in, is very clear save us. Be our Messiah. You are our rescuer. You are our king. Lead a revolt against the Roman rule and cleanse the land and set it apart back to God. Now here's a quick question for you. Are they wrong in referencing Psalm 118 for Jesus? Yes or no? No, they're not. It's the right passage. A lot of Old Testament Psalms Proverbs, prof- prophecies are all in reference. There are, a lot of them are in reference to Jesus himself. So it's not wrong that they quote this, that they have this in view. They're not even wrong for crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are absolutely right to have those words come out of their mouth in reference to Jesus. Here's the problem. They're missing the full meaning. They're missing the fullness of the text. Yes, Jesus came to save. He came to be a triumphant king, but here's the thing: Psalm 118, verse 22. The same psalm that they're quoting is the same psalm that also says, "The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone." They forget about that little part, and we're going to talk more in fullness once we get to the next passage that Jesus re- or that gets referenced in the text. So the crowd they they've got their plans. Here's our hero. Here's the obvious problem. Come fix it, Jesus. You are a rescuer, right? So here's what keeps happening. As, as Jesus is entering in, jump down to verse 17 and 18. As Jesus is entering in, meanwhile, verse 17, the crowd which had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, they continued to testify. Stop there for a second. We have people who have witnessed Jesus raise someone from the dead and they're in the streets and they're telling everybody about it. The stories of Jesus' victory. He's raised someone from the dead. It wasn't that he took so many lives, it was that he gave life. In verse 18, this is also why the crowd met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. The spoils of Jesus' war. Lazarus, (laughs) dead guy raised to life. So more and more people, as these people testify, yeah, this Jesus, this guy that we're welcoming, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He, and, and more and more people come to welcome him. The more and more gather. And how do the Pharisees feel about this? Are they happy? No, no. The, verse 19, then the Pharisees said to one another, you see? It's like they're blaming themselves. You've accomplished nothing. Oh, That's like the worst words to hear. You've done nothing good. You've accomplished nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Whoa. The world, a.k.a. the cosmos. Everybody's flooding to Jesus. See, that gets my heart going. I'm not angry at that. I'm like, more of that, Lord, please. More people in this world going after Jesus. But here, that makes them mad. They're angry at that. And so they continue to work their efforts to kill him, which is what happens this week in the text. So the crowds come. They come to welcome Jesus in triumphantly as a king. They welcome him, come save us, rescue us from this Roman tyranny. And what does Jesus do? What's his response? Keep in mind what happened previously when a crowd tried to take Jesus and make them make him their king in 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 John 6 I believe it was in John 6 verse 15 after Jesus had fed the 5,000 right this incredible feat this incredible miracle obvious to so many there's this crowd that comes and they're like all right Jesus you're coming with us you're going to be our king let's go and what does Jesus do there he's like nope and he skirts he dabs out and he's gone He declines their efforts, and he retreats. But what does he do here? He welcomes it in. He welcomes it. He accepts it. Look at verse 14. Instead of running away, Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat on it. And he rode it in. Now, other gospel stories will include more about how he got that donkey, uh, John doesn't do that. John's got a different point that he's trying to make with this narrative. But let me just stop there for, for, for a second. Um, in like any popular war movie or story, how many times have you seen the great triumphant warrior riding into the battle with spear in hand, shield in the other, on a brain donkey? <laughs> Meh. I ain't ever seen, and Gladiator, Russell Crowe, right? You ever, picture that hole in the opening war. The the whole fleet of the soldiers riding donkeys down the hill. They're like going this fast. I got this baby up to three. (laughs) That's about it, right? Like it's ridiculous. Here's this warrior king coming into the city and he hops on a donkey. I wonder if the disciples were like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. (sighs) Come on, you got to know by now. He picks a donkey. Guys, I've ridden a donkey in the middle of Morocco. And that thing was whining the whole time. I mean, I'm kind of a heavy dude, but that thing sounded. And I'm through the massive field for miles. That's all it sounds like. And I'm like, oh, that is suck. Terrifying war cry? No, <laughs> it's whining. <laughs> you know what's so ironic though is that John makes a comment in verse 16 that he includes himself in, by the way. His disciples did not understand these things at first, which I think right now we could say we're not fully understanding. However, when Jesus was glorified, which some people could say that was his, that was when he was on the cross. Some people would say that was when he was raised from the dead. Some people say that was his ascension. I just say, pick one, right? When he was glorified, I'd say after his death and resurrection, when they start to see Jesus, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. So the disciples don't even understand the fullness and the richness of the events that they're watching right now. So if you're a disciple of Jesus right now, just go, whoo, can you do that with me? Whoo, you don't have to know everything, <laughs> all right? Praise God, these disciples, he's, John's willing to say, hey, we didn't understand exactly what this all meant. But here John emphasizes something very intentional that Jesus, Jesus does in, in, in a way that's in response to their welcome. And what John does is he connects it. He says, this was done. Jesus did this in fulfillment of this word from Zechariah 9.9. So here's what's really cool. Here's what's really cool. Before you get there, we have an apostle, an author of God's word, somebody who is inspired by the Lord to write this text, teaching the followers of Jesus how to understand the Old Testament in view of Jesus today it's incredible. So flip to Zechariah chapter 9, because we're going to be walking through several texts in there. Zechariah chapter 9, because John says that this was done in fulfillment of the passage. Do not be afraid, which is actually a quotation probably from Isaiah or Zephaniah. Daughter Zion, look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, we know in Zechariah 9.9, it sounds like this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So here's what's crazy. Here's the background for Zechariah's book, his word of prophecy. This is after the Babylonian exile. So, Jews have come back from their exile, and the community, if you read the first half, it might wig you out a little bit. There's some crazy images and visions, but the community and its leaders in Jerusalem and in Israel are just in utter turmoil. It's chaos. And we get through this book to chapter 9 and we find out that there's this king who's going to come riding in on a donkey. Now, Zechariah tells us why it's a donkey. You see, he could have had two choices, right? A war horse or a, or a donkey. A war horse, right, obviously was symbolic of war. Made sense. A donkey according to this passage, symbolizes peace. It's a time of peace. We see Solomon in 1 Kings riding into uh, Jerusalem on a donkey in a time of peace after he was recognized as the new king of Israel. It wasn't war, it was peace. And look at what this king does when he comes in riding on a donkey. Verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The bow of war will be removed, and he will proclaim peace to the nations. You see, this king in Zechariah is coming in to establish his peace, and he removes all the instruments of war, the horse, the chariot, the bow. He proclaims his peace to all the nations. Now, one of the things we know is that Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem here was on a donkey. We know his entrance into the, the cosmos at the end of the age. What's he going to be riding on? A white horse. Revelation 19. Because then he's coming back for war. Then he conquers the world, slays his enemies, and makes his kingdom his home forevermore. So he comes back on a war horse later, but here he's establishing peace between God and man. Guys, the choice of a donkey is intentional because he's going to achieve his triumphal victory through humility, through lowliness, through meekness. He's not coming to destroy other nations. He's coming to proclaim peace to the nations guys the jews are expecting that this messiah figure is going to come and liberate them he's going to crush all the other nations in the process but this king in zechariah comes to bring peace and look at what else this king does in zechariah 9 look at verse 10 keep it keeps going his dominion will extend from sea to sea from the euphrates river to the ends of the earth does that sound familiar When Jesus rose and He's commissioning His disciples, He says, all authority, where? In heaven and on earth, has been given to me. His dominion, His rule. Look at verse 11 in Zechariah 9. As for you, because of the blood of your covenant, I will release your prisoners from waterless cisterns. Waterless cisterns, meaning cisterns that have run dry that can't offer life and this king comes in to release them to set them free to deliver them from cisterns that aren't life giving whoa are you you guys starting to get some chill bumps and how does he do it through what as for you because of the blood of your covenant Jesus' blood is the new covenant. And it's by his blood that we are set free, that we are washed and cleansed and delivered. Look at verse 16 in Zechariah 9. The Lord their God will save them on that day when that king comes riding in on a donkey. He will save them on that day as the flock of his people. In other words, the good shepherd. Didn't we just hear about Jesus being the good shepherd? You see, from Zechariah 9.16, in connection, connecting it to Palm Sunday, Jesus' plans as he rides in on a donkey are to be their salvation and to start to shepherd them. Guys, God's, God's people have been waiting for this moment for a millennia, and they're welcoming it in one sense in the wrong way, but Jesus still bringing it in the right way. This is, this is what his entrance into Jerusalem really is. It's one of a, of, of a different kind of conquering. It establishes peace. It gives life. It sets free. It doesn't take. It doesn't rob. It doesn't conquer in, in, in one sense from us. Though we do bow to his authority, and he does conquer our hearts. You know, there's this poem that I came across uh, by Charles Ross Weed. And he compares, he compares Alexander the Great to Jesus. And I'm going to have it up on the screen. Jesus and Alexander died at 33. One died in Babylon and one on Calvary. One gained all for self, and one himself he gave. One conquered every throne, the other every grave. When died the Greek, forever fell his throne of swords. But Jesus died to give life, Lord of Lords, or life forever, Lord of Lords. Jesus and Alexander died at 33. The Greek made all men slaves, the Jew made all men slaves free. One built a throne on blood, the other built on love. The one was born of earth, the other from above. One won all this earth to lose all earth and heaven. The other gave up all that all to him be given. The Greek forever died, the Jew forever lives. He loses all who gets and wins all things who gives. You see, Jesus was not coming in like Alexander the Great. He was coming in as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. His triumphal entry is of a different kind. The Jews were crying, rescue us from this tyrant Caesar. And Jesus knew they needed rescue from the tyrant of sin and death. Here comes our King. But the story of Zechariah doesn't stop there. We've looked at chapter 9, but it doesn't stop. What we find out is that this king in Zechariah that has come in to establish peace, uh, to, to, to break the war bow and, and, to, and to bring his reign to the ends of the earth, through, uh, uh, he, we find out that his plans, in verse 16, that he plans to shepherd them. And we find out in chapter 10 and chapter 11, that's kind of what happens. He begins to shepherd the people. And the people turn on this shepherd king in Zechariah. Look at, flip over to chapter 11. In chapter 11, look at verse 8. In one month, I got rid of three shepherds because of how horrible, how unrighteous and wicked they were. I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. The shepherds started to detest this king, shepherd king. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. Then I said, I will no longer shepherd you. Let what is dying die, and let what is perishing perish. Let the rest devour each other's fast. So this shepherd this shepherd king in, in Zechariah wipes his hand and he says, all right. I've tried to shepherd you. You have rejected me. I'm wiping my hands of this. And look at verse 12. Then I said to them, If it seems right to you, give me my wages, my pay for shepherding you. But if not, keep them. So they weighed my wages. And how much were they? 30 pieces of silver. You seeing that? Look at verse 13. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it into the house of the Lord, to the potter. The shepherd king in Zechariah is rejected by the people and the people's leaders for 30 pieces of silver. Sound Jesus is welcomed in, in this great procession, this great celebration, and in some fashion which perhaps the, the Jews, the crowd didn't fully understand, they assumed that Jesus and his movement was going to serve their cause, their interests, their agenda, their vision for society, and Jesus' presence could together make the changes that they really wanted in their city, and their nation. But as the gospel story unfolds further and further, Jesus' failure to satisfy those visions, whether they were religious, political, or social, leads them, this crowd, from one day on Sunday, crying, Hosanna, to on Friday, crying, crucify him. I don't know if I... I'm telling you anything new, but aren't our hearts so fickle? Can't the human heart be so easily swayed through circumstance, through misunderstanding, through doubt? This crowd, man, so fickle. And they're misunderstanding. They have their agenda for this king of Israel who's coming in. And then they start to find out that this king of Israel that they welcomed has a different agenda, has different plans. He's one of the original superheroes who's not subject to the agenda of everyone else. He has his own plans. The crowd receives Jesus as king for their own purposes. They had their own picture of what their hero was going to look like tall, dark, and handsome, riding on a white stallion, better than any Disney princess movie could ever imagine. And he comes in to overthrow the tyranny of Rome. That's what the city wanted. That's what the Jews wanted. They were hoping and longing for and crying for it here as they welcome in this Jesus. The crowd is cheering for, ultimately, their own delusion, their own fantasy. And when they find out that he has his own plans, they reject and they crucify him. But don't worry, all of that was actually according to plan. Because we saw that in Zechariah, that was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So here's my challenge for us today. Here's where things get a little icky In what manner do we likewise use Jesus to fuel our own visions for social or political change? Uh Uh-oh, I said the word political. Yeah. My challenge, question, do you, do we ever take up the name of Jesus and attach it to our own agendas? to our own plans and purposes? Well, the answer obviously is yes. We've seen it throughout history. I mean, I'm going to start digging up some trash, some skeletons in the closet when we look at the Crusades years and years ago, vying for the promised land between Christian and Muslim. Thousands were killed because God willed it. Thousands were killed and slain in the name of Christ. Talk about using Jesus for your own purposes. A few decades or centuries later, we see it, saw it around the world. We saw it in America. Christ's name was used to justify slavery for decades. Christian slave owners used passages from the Old Testament and the New Use the fact that Jesus didn't actually t- say that you should not own slaves specifically. They used that and said, oh, Jesus is fine with us having slaves. Nah. Or what about more recently? And again, this one, um, yep, this is going to be fun. Remember the, the corona years, which apparently we're still not done with them yet. When when the debate about wearing masks or unmasks went out and each side of the conversation quickly grabbed Jesus and threw them onto their side and and said, hey, Jesus, you would have us wear masks, wouldn't you? And then the other group said, no, 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 he's on our side. He wouldn't have us wear masks. And each person would use Jesus for their own agenda and plan. And it divided the church and the church is still not recovered from those years. Or what about this? We also know that there's some other cultural issues going on today, especially regarding sexuality and understanding of of identity. I can give you an example. What about when a a gay lobbyist in the Presbyterian Church of the USA made a claim saying that they should allow uh, homosexual pastors to be ordained? This is what he said. Jesus loved everyone, and today he would stand with the gay community, affirming its rights in society and the church. Anyone who does not stand with us stands against Jesus. Oh. So, so there's, there it is, Jesus. He comes onto that side of the aisle, and now they're using him to justify their own sin and their own understanding. For, he conveniently serves their agenda... Now, I'm going to keep going because not every toes have been stepped on. It's easy for us to look at that example as the church and say, yeah, oh, clearly, man, that's a really, ah, that's a bad abuse of the agenda or the, the words of Jesus. Like we know that's not true. Uh, how about we ask ourselves as conservatives, per se? Maybe we need to ask ourselves these questions. How have we done it? What about like in matters of poverty and people in need? It's very easy for us to justify us closing our hearts to the poor and needy, the truly poor and needy, maybe because sometimes we see some abuses, sometimes we see misuses, right? When we know Jesus was very clear about how the church, his people were to handle and work with those in deep need. He was very clear about that. And yet we, we found ways to, ju- to, to use Jesus to justify apathy. To justify, you know, well, they've got to they've pick up themselves by their own bootstraps. They, they need to take responsibility. And don't get me wrong, you're right. Individual responsibility is a key thing in this. But what about those who just aren't capable? We don't turn our hearts to all of that. We don't use Jesus to justify apathy to those who are poor and needy. Or let me, again, what about on the flip side? Because, again, every single toe is going to be stepped on. What about in issues of prosperity? You have an agenda for your life. You want to prosper. You want wealth. You want everything good. And you welcome Jesus in as king. He's going to make me wealthy. He's going to make me not suffer anymore. Life's going to be so comfortable and easy when I welcome this king into my life. That would be the called the prosperity gospel is Jesus' agenda for all of our lives unanimously to always take away our pain? No. No. He doesn't always take away pain. But there will be a day when he takes away all pain. But for now, he doesn't always take it away. Does is, is, is Jesus' intention, does he always have this agenda to remove thorns in the flesh? No. 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 Yeah. He has an agenda that says, hey, my grace will be sufficient for you. Or what about, what about, does Jesus always heal everyone all the time? Unfortunately, no. Not right now, but there will be a day when he heals all things. Don't get me wrong, we seek for healing. We seek for, for, for the Lord to do something with our pain or to do something in our pain. Either way. But here's the point of it all. We can't just take Jesus and shove him into our own plans and shove him into our own agendas when in things that he might not be interested in doing. (laughs) Why? Oh, well, because he's the king. He's the one who sits on the throne. He's the one who writes out his agenda and his plans and his purposes He's the king. Guys, and, and, and don't get me wrong, this, uh, those were some political hot-button issues. What about just simply praying? When you pray according to your own agenda, does that work well? No, James talks about that. He says you don't have because you don't ask. and You, don't, you ask and you don't receive because you, re- you ask with wrong motives so that you can spend it on your own pleasures. There are things you won't get in prayer because your agenda is not God's. That's why 1 John 5 says that this is the confidence that we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, in other words, according to his agenda, his plans, he hears us. So I just got to ask, what agendas, what plans of yours are you forcing Jesus into? What problems are you trying to get him to solve in your life that he isn't currently interested in solving? Maybe, maybe it's in a particular relationship you have. Maybe your, your agenda for your spouse, they've got to get better. And you're crying out, Jesus, I would love for you to triumph over my spouse. Fix him. Fix him. Yeah, fix her. It's terrible. Well, that might not be his agenda for them, but I know his agenda for you. He wants to improve you. He wants to shape you and mold you. So maybe pray according to that. Or maybe, maybe your agenda is that you want Jesus to provide you a relationship for a lifetime when really his agenda is for you to be content with him alone first. Maybe your agenda is to be rid of all of your physical and emotional pain. And you've been crying out trying to welcome Jesus in. Hey, come on into this city. I'd love for you to come fix this problem. And he's not coming to take it away. And so you cope or you numb all your pain with being overly busy or maybe using the bottle. When really his agenda for you is to have your heart truly say, King Jesus is sufficient for me. Whether your agendas are political, relational, religious, social, economical, whatever they are. I do want you to celebrate his arrival. Welcome him into every part of your lives. Celebrate his coming into your life. But then quiet down. Decrease the volume. Stop talking so much. And and listen to his agenda. Listen to his plans. Hear, Hear what he has to say. See what he does. How he carries himself. How he... Walks through the world. Ultimately, that's discipleship to Jesus. You've piped down and you're seeing your king and you're following. As Jesus came to be king, he came to establish his reign of peace and to establish it to the ends of the world through his death and through his resurrection. and That's the good news of the gospel. It's what he's doing right now. When we pray that the Lord, when Joseph every time does the offering, he, every time, I don't know if you've heard it every time, but he prays it every time, increase your reign in our hearts. In other words, get our agendas out of the way, Put yours in there. Maybe today's the day where you finally welcome him with his plans and his agenda as the purposes of your life. Some of you, that might mean that you need to start pursuing missions or ministry. Some of you, that's how you work in the workforce and how you're repurposing it for the Lord. Some of you has that has to deal with how you use your marriage, what your marriage is leveraged for, for what your family is leveraged for. Either way, are you going to welcome Jesus in with his plans, his agenda into the city of your life? Does that feel good? Actually, yeah, it does. Let me pray. (sighs) Jesus, you are our king. And we thank you for your undeserved love. Uh, We thank you that you were willing to ride in on that donkey, showing us in humility that you were establishing a time of peace between us and your Father in heaven through the blood of your cross, through the covenant that is found in your blood, through your death and resurrection. We praise you for this gospel, that we can have peace with God now and forevermore. God, I'm, I'm, sensing, I'm sensing that in here there might be some who are far from you. Some who have been living life with their own agendas and their own plans. Understanding that they can determine their own purposes. And I, I, I think you're humbling them now. <coughs> God, may today be the day where you increase and they decrease. God, may that be true for all of us. We ask that you would increase your reign in our hearts and in this world. And so as a church, we corporately humble ourselves before you. And we will agree that it's your plans, your agenda for our lives in this world that we want to align ourselves with. So would you convict us of how we've gone astray, how we've wandered off or wandered into our own plans and purposes being what determines how we function as a church family and what we do. When ultimately, Jesus, we want your agenda to be our highest priority. That we would love your Father, that we would love you and love your Spirit, Holy Spirit in us that we would love people around us, those who are easy and hard to love, and that we would continue to encourage others into greater depths and heights of discipleship with you. God, increase your reign. We put our agendas on the altar. We burn them in the pile. We receive you as king today. Church, if you agree with this, would you cry out Hosanna with me? Hosanna. Hosanna. Let's do it again. One, two, three. Hosanna. Hosanna. We agree, church. Hosanna. Hosanna. Amen. Let's all stand. Salvation has come. Some of you are looking for rescue and you're trying to find it elsewhere when really jesus is the only one who is able and strong enough to save and so if that's you today i'd love to pray with you come meet with me i'm at the front there'd be others here as well who would love to pray over you for those who need healing from sickness or ailments or encouragement either way we'd love to pray over you Um, we are about to go have a ball of a time down in the fellowship hall, having a potluck. If you didn't bring anything and you're wondering, well, if I didn't bring anything, can I go? The answer is yes, you can go. We ordered, I think we ordered way too much chicken for how many people showed up today. So uh, you might be getting sent home with some. So if you want scraps for for tomorrow's lunch or dinner too, feel free to come down too. But um, I'm gonna pray for our dinner right now. Pray for our fellowship and I'll send you out to it. So let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for... Uh, the, the communion that we have with you and the communion that we have with our brothers and sisters here. We praise you for the, sh- the, 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 the image of Acts 2 where the church came and shared their goods and broke bread together. God, we want to do that now. So I pray that the fellowship of your spirit and the fellowship of this church would be such an incredible blessing for everyone here. That there would be those um, who feel kind of on the outside, on the fringes, would be welcomed in as they eat. I pray, Lord, that there would be those who are seeking to meet those who have not. Uh, met them yet. I pray, Jesus, that you would bless their conversations. May there be mutual encouragement and hope stirred up in one another as we talk about your goodness and celebrate your kingship in this church. Bless the food. Thank you for everybody who brought it. Nourish our bodies with it and bless our souls in this time. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Go get some grub. I'll see you down there.